yeah uh, um with uh for 40 i think it's 44 years now um that i've that i've been doing it it just it the only difference is that when i started it took me two hours to look like this <laughs> um and, and that's that's true i mean i when I, I started when i was 22 years old I, I i played it for the first time wow and um it it i mean it was the real whole lawn cheney thing with the makeup box and everything and you know spraying the ring of that you know and the funny thing is that I did not realize that it was makeup by prophecy. Is that what I was actually doing was I was showing myself what I was going to look like when I was 66. <laughs> um, it, 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 it just happened to be that, as you know, each, each year it was that, that makeup process got faster and faster. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> what, what are the advantages know, of getting older, right? There we go. It, it Well, it is, it is, it's, you know, as I, um, you know, I, I don't say this, you know, in a name dropping sort of way. It's just the, if you if you've done some some checking, you might have found out that, you know, Hal Holbrook and I were friends for uh, mm -hmm. like 35 years. Wow. And um, I would not have even stepped on stage as Mark Twain without his knowledge and permission and blessing. Oh, and that's um, great. Well, as a matter of fact, one of the Twain books is dedicated to him. Oh, and uh, yeah. and and we would you know we we would see each other whenever we could as much as because me living in Cleveland and him living living in the uh, the Los Angeles area right but you know we would see each other two three times a year for dinner or lunch or whatever I was out there or he was doing something close and you know at one point when and it got to the the process has gotten this far I I once said to him you know. Uh, You'll always be the gold standard when it comes to playing Mark Twain. Nobody's ever going to touch you. Mm -hmm. But there is one way I can beat you now. And uh, <laughs> he sort of arched an eyebrow. He said, yeah, what's that? And I said, well, I can get on stage faster than you can now. You know, uh, still takes you two hours to look like Mark Twain. You know, I'm out there while you're still back in the dressing room. You know, it's a, uh, it's a small true. victory, but I'm a small person. I'll take my victories where I can, you know. so. <laughs> well, this is great. I I you know, had no idea until I, you know, started sort of checking into it that uh, all the different things you've done. Now, you mentioned to me, you and your wife just got through doing a series of shows. Was it Twilight Zone? That we was just did the... our Twilight Zone show last night. Yeah. Uh, yes, in, in North Canton. And uh, um, we do several things. We do a Mark Twain show together. I do a solo. We do a, a, a show called Twain by Two together. We do a, an evening of Edgar Allan Poe uh, stories and poems. We have a show called um, Monsters Are Universal, which are about is about the origins of the the horror film and their association with great works of literature. Um, yeah, we, we 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 it keeps us busy. We do a, a show called Ghosts of the Civil War, Shades of Blue and Gray. Um, so yeah, it, it, all in all, it keeps us pretty busy. We've had the theater company for about twenty years. And, wow, that's great, Mark. How do you? Pronounce your last name for me. All right. If you're looking at it, just break it down phonetically because it actually was phoneticized when they came in. It's Dewidziak. So it's Dewidziak. So it's Dewidziak. I would have given it that shot, I think, uh, but I wanted to, to hear what how you you've probably heard it in every form possible uh, in oh, your life. You know, actually, um, and, you, and you take it for granted. People always want to pronounce it close to a name they already know. Right. Right. So what it comes out uh, with, with no bearing on, on, on how it's spelled, you know, somebody <laughs> will say, you know, well, this is Mark Devodziak or Mark DeWidniak or Mark. And it always goes back to somebody. They knew somebody with a sure. name like that. Yeah. And it's like yeah. must be the same. Right. Yes. And the other thing I get all the time is because of the last name, people call me David all the time. 
You know, it's just, I, I, I can't oh, tell yeah. you how okay. times I've gotten off the phone and somebody said, well, David, thank you very much. You know, and <laughs> it actually had they gone full Americanization with the name, it would have been Davidson. They would have could have because Ack at the end of a Polish name is a diminutive. Oh, you know, so oh. they could have gone, you know, full American and, and just gone and called, made it Davidson. But uh, they it was Dvijak when my my grandfather came in at Ellis Island. He was Kashmir Dvijak when he arrived. Wow. He, he was Charlie Dvijak when he left, and <laughs> um, so that so the, so they just phoneticized the name. And uh, and again, they 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 could have gone the full Americanized route, but they didn't. You know, oh, that's a great name. All right. Well, let me let me intro you, and we'll get into talking about Edgar Allan Poe. Sure, sure. Any anything you want to talk about is fine with me. I'm always ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> On the line with us today, Mark Dwidziak, the author of A Mystery of Mysteries: The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe. And we say death and life because uh, the, there's a mystery about the death of Edgar Allan Poe, and and you you kind of uh, break that out in the book. Yeah, and um, it, 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 it not it's not just a, a mystery, but it is a it, it's almost the starting point. You know, most biographies start in the logical place where you start a biography, which is when somebody was born. That's where you you usually you know start anything. It's like David Copperfield, I am born. You start right there, that moment of birth. But with Poe, the discussion always seems to start with how he died. And there's so many misconceptions about Poe. And that's not the least of which is how he died. I, I don't know how many people I have heard say, you know, well, all I know about Poe is he died drunk in the gutter. And I was like, no, no part of that statement is true. <laughs> there's, there's nothing there that's true. All you know is wrong, then, if that's all you know. Um, so uh, Poe is a fellow who is just um, swamped by mystery, myth, and misconception and misinformation. A bunch of M's associate themselves with Poe. And it's it's really staggering uh, how we have constructed almost a uh, funhouse mirror reflection of who he actually was. So, um, yes, the, the subtitle is reversed from what you normally would see, because most books we say the life and death of. Mm -hmm. I reversed it intentionally because um, you do start with the death. But it, it also because this guy also had one of the greatest afterlives of any author. Um, Poe emerges triumphant. Uh, mm -hmm. you I mean they, they, this guy dies in 1849 at the age of 40 you know they bury him the next day in a small presbyterian cemetery in baltimore on a cold windy day the next day he's buried again uh figuratively because somebody he thought was a friend publishes an obituary of him and what Poe didn't realize was that this guy was nursing grudges against him. And he uh, writes a, an obituary, which is uh, as scurrilous a piece of writing as anybody has ever done. He accuses Poe of everything under the sun and presents him as a completely immoral man. The damage to Poe's reputation uh, that that obituary did has not been undone to today. Hmm. Uh, so... That's why I say, so he's buried under this mountain of misinformation. He's literally buried. And then in 1875, they dug him up and they buried him again because they wanted to put him in a better place in the cemetery. They wanted to put a nice monument in the front part of the cemetery and there was no room where he was buried. So, so this guy keeps getting buried. But, you know, if you know anything about an Edgar Allan Poe short story, you know one thing is nothing stays buried in Poe. Uh, and, and that's true of Poe's life is that, Poe is today probably the most recognized, best read American author. 
Um, the only writer who's American writer who's is who's probably as well recognized as Mark Twain. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think Twain is as well read anymore as Poe is. I think Poe is actually certainly in our country because Poe is curriculum. While Twain is dropped out of curriculum for a lot of schools, everybody gets Edgar Allan Poe. You got Edgar Allan Poe when you were in school. I got him. My my father got him in the depths of the Depression in the 1930s when he was in high school. You know, everybody gets Poe. And uh, they get you start in the seventh grade, and then you keep getting them. Eighth grade, ninth grade, through high school. And then if you take college literature courses, you're going to get them again. So, you know, the public school system and the pop culture have been Poe's greatest allies in keeping him alive. When, and he, when you say... When you say pop culture, I, your book brought uh, to mind uh, a list, I guess some of us are just forever doing lists, of authors that are, well, as you say, well-known and, and posed right at the top there, but have just been popularized, I think, by movies, by Ed Gallen yeah. Poe. Movies that probably he had nothing to do, I mean... Maybe and, there was a subject in there, but I'm thinking of the Vincent Price, and that's the, by the way, know. Vincent Price is is quoted in your book. Uh, yeah, I thought yeah. that was interesting too, among others, many many experts of of Poe. You quote very insightfully Poe. too. I mean, you would, what Vincent Price had to say about Poe. He was a he was a true Poe scholar, even though a lot of the Roger Corman films had very little resemblance to Poe's actual stories. The same can be said of the Universal films of the 1930s with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, like right. The Raven and the Black Cat. They had very, very little to do with, with Poe. But they certainly popularized Poe mm -hmm. and kept him in, in, in you know, in, in, and it's not just that. Poe has street cred that goes on forever. Um, I mean, he's on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. He's not only on the center of the, the cover of the album, he's got the top center position. He's name checked in songs by John Lennon and Bob Dylan. His he has appeared as a character on everything from South Park to The Simpsons, and they've done their own adaptations of the Telltale Heart. Um, you don't see Longfellow showing up on The Simpsons. You don't see, uh, you know, and, and go into any bookstore like BAM or Barnes and Noble and you'll see shelves of merchandise devoted to Poe. Uh -huh. uh, you know, they're Poe plushies, Poe action figures, Poe journals, Poe uh -huh. mugs, Poe tea tins. Where yeah. are the, the shelves for Emerson? Where are the yeah. shelves for Melville? You know, this is that's that's the point is that Poe had the last laugh. Right. He, he, right. He, he did not have a lot of recognition in his lifetime. He battled poverty his whole life through. But he is more alive today than any of those writers who were supposed to outlive him, who were going to outlive him. And, you know, it just took it took a, a, a several decades for us to catch up to him, you know, because he was that far ahead of his time. And it just took us that look. It really took the 20th century for us to catch up to Poe and realize how what a genius he was. Talking with Mark Dwiziak, the author of A Mystery of Mysteries. And, you know, Mark, I, I, I found it fascinating uh, just the reading the description of his life, you know, the, some of the episodes in his life. Because I, I don't think those are well known. Um, you know, the, we, we know the name and we know some of the works. But the fact that, you know, the, the military school or the his, you know, his efforts to please the 
uh, he wasn't his father, but somebody who foster father, foster uh, father. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, and he just seemed to, well, that he fell out of grace there, didn't he? With, with that guy, because well, John Allen, I mean, uh, there, there are, are villains in Poe's life, you know, people who, who you, who you can't help, but when you read Poe's biography, you want to boo in this. Now, one of them is, is Rufus Griswold, who wrote the, the obituary. Right. And isn't that a great name for Rufus Griswold? It sounds right like it came right out of a melodrama from the Victorian era. <laughs> um, but John Allen, who, um, who Poe's mother dies when he is not yet three, and he is adopted by the Allens of Richmond. They're, they're a merchant family. And John Allen is a very austere uh, fellow. And he never formally adopts Poe. So he always makes Poe feel like he's he's not truly uh, accepted, fully accepted. And the older Poe gets, uh, the more there is a pulling and shoving between them. And um, John Allen is not a very nice man. He's just, you know, he's he doesn't understand Poe. And uh, when John Allen dies, he dies an extraordinarily wealthy man. He, he dies as one of the wealthiest men in Richmond. If he had left even the tiniest fraction of his wealth to Poe, Poe would have been set for life. Hmm. Uh, he leaves Poe nothing. He right. leaves money to illegitimate children, and he leaves nothing to Poe. Hmm. Now, in some ways, John Allen did us an enormous favor by doing that. If Poe had actually inherited that money and had been comfortable, he probably would have been a gentleman poet and an essayist um, and lived the life of what he thought he would be, a member of the Virginia aristocracy. But instead, he has to, he decides that he's going to make a living, he's going to be the first American to actually make his living solely through literary efforts, writing and editing. You know, up to that point, almost uh, writers, and even during that time, all, all the writers had day jobs. They were, you know, teachers, or or they had government positions, or they they worked in local parishes or whatever. Poe tries to do this through his talent and ability alone. It's a gutsy thing to try to do in, yeah. a, in an era where they did not know copyright laws. Yeah. And so he got very little money for, you know, the, the, this, these works of genius that he did. And if he hadn't, but but if he had made all the money, there would have been no need for him to have written the short stories. To, to uh, There would have been no economic need for him to have tried stories of horror and mystery, which are what we primarily know him for today. Right. Uh, it's, thank goodness, in some way, John Allen didn't do Poe any favors, but he did us an enormous favor by not leaving Poe any money because Poe has to find sources of income. And one of the sources of income he does, does is he, he tries his hand at the short story. And he's a genius. He's a you know, it's 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 one of the things he's 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 unquestionably better at it than anybody else trying it especially the, the horror story you know i mean yes he 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 creates the mission the modern detective story uh, with his was a huge a huge accomplishment right there yeah. if he did oh, nothing else but that right you know a guy who only lives to be 40 you know and, and this is one of the things that i you know one of the reasons i wrote the book was although the publisher was quite interested in the mystery of his death you know, I was more interested in how he lived, the mystery of his life, and the creative process. What what was the, what what was this artist really like? And that's where the myth needs to be shattered. Because if you say the name Edgar Allan Poe, the magical thing is almost everybody gets an image of a face, 
the right. look, the guy, the gloomy guy with the mustache. Mm -hmm. And even if they, they know the stories, I mean, you, you, the average person knows the telltale heart. They know the raven, you know, so it, it, that's pretty amazing that that that's a connection that almost no other writer has where you can count on somebody not only knowing what he looked like recognizing his name but also recognizing particular pieces right and, and fame fame has been a double-edged sword for mr poe because yeah. while we rec we remember all that we remember him for the little tiny bit of the writing that he did and it's primarily yeah. the the stories of horror and mystery and Yes, he was better at it than anybody else. He was miles ahead of anybody trying that back then. And a lot of people were trying it in his time. There was no shortage of this stuff. He was just better at it than anybody. But we, we've also forgotten what an incredibly versatile and dedicated writer he is. Because if I said the name Edgar Allan Poe, there's a very good chance you got an image of a, a very gloomy, melancholy, unhealthy guy, sickly, mm -hmm. Salad complexion, deep sunken eyes, sitting up in an attic somewhere, surrounded by cobwebs and dust, with a raven perched on his shoulder, and a black mm -hmm. cat, red-eyed, prowling through the dust mm -hmm. as he scribbles out stories and fever dreams, probably fueled by alcohol and drugs. Now, is that pretty close to what you think the image of Poe is? None of it's true. Not uh -huh. a bit of that is true. Poe was healthy for most of his life. He was athletic. He was extraordinarily, he was a good boxer. He was a good swimmer. He was a good, he could win any jumping contest, long jumping contest, leaping contest that there was. He was funny. He wrote as much humor as he did horror. We just don't read the humor today, but he had a great sense of humor. Um, he, he was, he was a good soldier when he joined the army, uh, as a young man, he was very quickly promoted to Sergeant. Uh, he went as high as he could go. Uh, and, and, and he, he never kind of lost that military bearing. He walked with his shoulders back and a military gait and a stride when he walked and he walked everywhere. None of that fits the stereotype of Edgar Allan Poe and even the drinking, you know, I'll readily concede that drinking was a problem for Poe, but it's probably not the problem most people think about is that it took Poe was probably allergic to alcohol. It took right. very little alcohol for Poe to get roaring drunk. One mm -hmm. drink and, and Poe was not the type to savor a drink. And he threw the first one back and then it was like he'd been drinking for hours. Right. And then it took him days to get over it. It wasn't just the morning hangover for Poe. He took days to get to get back on his feet again. So alcohol had a devastating effect on his system. But he has these long, long periods of sobriety. He goes for 12, 14 months without taking a drink. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, something I always point out, because when I, when people learned I was doing this book, uh, and I, when I was working on it, I invariably would get somebody who would come up to me and say, oh, I love Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I've read everything he's written and I never challenged it. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, no, you haven't. You haven't even begun. Because when Poe, Poe's collected works were finally assembled in the early part of the 20th century, they filled 17 volumes. Wow. And that's not everything because we've discovered things since then. Mm -hmm. So 
if you think you've read everything that Edgar Allan Poe wrote, you're, 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 you've got a big shock coming. Um, they mean they have got one of those complete tales and poems of Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. And they're not even complete, but they've read that and they think, okay, now I've read everything of Poe. Well, no, you really haven't. And um, what's amazing is the high quality of the writing. So you cannot only live to be 40 years old. Leave behind enough to fill 17 volumes of extraordinarily high quality and been drinking all the time. Right. It's, and it's and, and we know for a fact from, from, from the, the record shows that he has these long, long periods where he's not drinking. And he, during these times, he's very productive. He's a very dedicated artist. He's constantly reviving his manuscripts. He's, he's a very careful writer. Um, so none of the stereotypes, no part of that stereotype is 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 true that that we we we've made of Poe what we need him to be which is sort of like our grandfather of goth and um th- is that a part of who he was sure yeah of course he was he was a, he was attracted to the death culture he wasn't alone at that time that was happening in america um he was definitely he patterned himself after lord byron so he fancied himself a romantic poet and liked to dress in black um there are elements of of it and he certainly played up uh, the 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 sort of image that that he knew he had when the Raven was published in eighteen forty five, and he finally gets this little bit of fame. He finally gets this 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 uh, because because up to that point, you have to remember something, which is another misconception about Poe. In his lifetime, he was not best known as a poet. In his lifetime, he was not best known as the author of short stories of horror and mystery. In his lifetime, he was best known as a critic, a literary critic, and a very tough one. He was America's leading literary critic. He was so tough, his nickname was a Tomahawk Man. <laughs> but he believed that American literature would never grow up, would never escape the long shadow of Europe in general, and England in particular, unless it found its own voice. See, in addition to being a great writer in his own right, if you will, He's also kind of the John the Baptist of our literature because hmm. he's out there in the wilderness saying, let's throw off the shackles. In some ways, he sees he's, he's paving the road for Mark Twain, you know, who is going to do that, who is going to create an American voice and say, you can write any way you want to. You don't have to write like the English do. And that's not the standard we should be going for. So, so Poe's of an extraordinarily influential critic. Most, the, the, if you were to say, what did he write most in his lifetime? It was probably criticism more than right. it, certainly more than anything else. You, Our you, has reversed it. We right. know him first as the author of short stories of horror and, and mystery, secondarily as a poet, and then third, if you know it at all, critic. Talking with Mark Dwidziak, who's played Mark Twain for many years, um, says now that he spends a lot less time in makeup than he used to get some wonderful white hair. Um, Twain, we do we know Twain from the, the public uh, conception of Mark Twain because he spoke so many times, you know, he's so beloved. Um, is, is there a misconception there? I mean, we talk about not really knowing Edgar Allan Poe. What about Twain? Well, there was, you know, as a point of comparison, let's 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 take this to 1960, the, 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 the beginning of that incredible decade 
where you know everything seemed to get turned inside out and upside down. 1960, Poe po and Twain are probably, like today, the most recognized of American authors. So they stand uh, equal in that, that regard. But both of their reputations in 1960 were based on stereotype. Poe, the one we would, we've already discussed. For Twain in 1960, the stereotype was the grandfatherly man of letters, the sort of avuncular wit and boys author. Um, that was kind of the image of Twain. Mm -hmm. Now, the 1960s was very good to Mark Twain. The 1960s, because what happened was Twain's uh, one surviving child, Clara, was still alive in 1960. Well, she died in 60, in the early 60s. And all of the writings that she had suppressed, because she was afraid it would hurt her father's image, did the exact opposite. It hmm. enhanced <laughs> Twain's image. So in the 60s, we discover that Twain is this very fierce social critic. We discover that he has a lot to say, and it's not gentle about religion, politics, and what he called the damned human race. These writings emerge in the 1960s. And what happened was it enlarged our view of Mark Twain. Uh, it, 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 and, and we didn't lose the old. The thing was, it was you know, we did, it's not like we lost the Mark Twain we loved to begin with. No, he's still there. All that is still part of who Mark Twain was. But if you look at Edgar Allan Poe, Poe emerges from the 60s, the same guy that he went in. And it's still the image of Poe we have to this day. We have never allowed to happen to Poe what we allowed to happen to Twain, hmm. which was to enlarge our view of him. Now, I think some people are afraid we're going to lose the fun Poe, the, 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 the eerie Poe, the Stephen King of his time Poe. Right. We're not. It's no more than we lost the Twain that we loved, who was the, the wit and the, the, the children's author and the travel writer and the stand-up comic of his time. We didn't lose that Mark Twain because we just accepted there was more to him and there was more dimensions to him. And we're not we would not lose that for Poe either if we would just recognize the fact that Poe's writing did not come out of some insane dark corner, which we were kind of taught, you know, when I was in high school, I was taught by my teachers to confuse Poe with his unreliable narrators, that in some way they were reflections of who Poe was. So Poe in some way was the guy in the telltale heart and he's the narrator yeah. of the Raven and he's the narrator of the cask of Amontillado. And that is shortchanging Poe as a, as, as an artist. He created right. in many ways, the unreliable narrator and he knew what he was doing. So these are not reflections of who Poe was. That's another thing that has, that has taken us down the wrong path with Poe. So I would like to see Poe reclaim not just for his versatility, but also because of his achievement as a writer. That, 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 that is really those there's are some Poeness never quits. Every time you think you you got him, you see one other thing because he was interested in everything. Every, you know, Vincent Price said that to, you know, when I right. was talking to him about Poe, he said, you know, do you want to know what made Poe a good far writer is that he was interested in everything. He had an acquisitive mind. 
And it's true. It's really true. And, and Vincent Price once said that the, the person who limits his interests limits his life. And he wasn't talking about Poe when he said it, but it's a perfect description of Poe because Poe was interested in languages, rocks, travel, uh, the universe, everything. He just, he just, he was, he read anything and everything he could get his hands on. He'd have loved the internet, I'll tell you. <laughs> and the internet would have loved him. You oh, know? Yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, great. Mark, we got to, we got to uh, wrap this up, but. Let's remind folks again, uh, Mark Dwidziak, the author of A Mystery of Mysteries, The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe. And Mark, you know, if you've got the time, I'd love to get back to you because you have written scores of things and, you know, fascinating topics. We talk about Twain a little bit, but you've also written on Twilight Zone. You and your wife have done shows on Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. uh, Columbo, the TV show. You've, you've yes. looked into that. You've done a book. Uh, just Kolchak. I love Kolchak. The... Uh, Darren, Darren, what is it? Darren, um, Darren McGavin, and I'm actually, McGavin, thank I'm you. actually working on a new edition of that book right now. That's oh, be, wonderful. Is, is, uh, there's been a lot. I had to sort of. I've been wanting to get to that for quite some time, but um, I'm actually. I did a, a a revision on the Columbo book a few years ago, so I would love to do a revision on the the Night Stalker book uh, oh. as well. But um, that's great. You know, what, you, what you're getting is, Steve. What you're getting at is is basically you're 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 being very kind. It's a deeply schizophrenic resume. You know, I <laughs> I I I I <laughs> to that immediately. Is is and I tell this story is that I was once at a book fair and they had a, a table in front of me and they had a spread of my books there and the guy was going by the table and he looked down and he almost broke his neck doing a double take. <laughs> Yeah, and and he's, he was looking at the books. He's looking at me. And he's looking at the book. He's trying to make sense of something, and uh, he finally said, "I don't get it." <laughs> and I said, "What's not to get?" He he said, "Well, I don't get it." He said, "These books are about this. There are books about Mark Twain. There's books about television. There's horror stuff. There's you know biography. There's fiction. There's it's all over the map. You know, what's what's the what's the common theme?" And I said, me, I'm the common thing, <laughs> you know, these are all my interests. These are all, you know, I, I don't like repeating myself. Um, you know, it's the opposite of what they tell you you're supposed to do as a writer these days. You know, you're supposed to brand, you know, you're supposed to do one thing and stick to it, you know, which I think is a tremendously boring thing to do. And um, I don't like repeating myself. And uh, I love climbing new mountains, pursuing passions and things like that um i probably would be more successful in financially if i sort of stuck to one thing and just you know but i, I i'm just not built that way you as a writer you're either built that way or you're not right. some writers can do that and be wonderfully successful at that and very happy at that and i'm not i've, I've always been somebody who says okay uh i don't care if i'm doing uh, a complete turnaround on the next one um that sounds challenging. I'd like to do that. You know, it's like John Steinbeck said that good, a good writer writes scared. Hmm. And That's what he meant by that was that you should be scared by the challenges you take on. You should be, you know, you should, you shouldn't be comfortable. You should not right. be, you, know, uh, you, you should be a little frightened about what you take on. I thought that was a very, uh, I've always loved that, that thing and uh, that phrase because I thought, yeah, that's right. That's right. You should write scared. I so, would have liked that. 
I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, he would have. Yeah. In that way, they would have been very much kindred souls, you know. Uh, you know, and I don't want to make a saint to Poe, by the way, because Poe, I think he would have been a very difficult friend. You know, Poe was almost the definition of high maintenance. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he, he was not what you would call an easygoing fellow, <laughs> um, but he was a genius and he knew it. You uh-huh. know, the weird thing about Poe is he knew it. There it is. Mark, thank you so much for your time. And if again... Uh, yeah, I'd love, love to come. A- any of the topics that you talked about, you know, next year is the 100th anniversary of Rod Serling's birth. Oh, wow. So there's good that angles. Yeah. I'm on the Rod Serling Memorial, uh, the Rod Serling Memorial Foundation board. Um, so, you know, I'm always ready to talk about Rod in the Twilight Zone, one of my favorite topics. Mark Twain, obviously. Anything you'd like to talk about, sure. I I'd think I realized... The brilliance of Serling and the Twilight. I mean, I think we all know it from from the success. But for a while, I was helping out um, local theater here, and we ran the old movies, um, film noir, and such things. Mm-hmm. And I think, in an effort to you know liven it up uh, or or add a little variety, threw a Twilight Zone out there on the screen one day, and it made the perfect short subject to lead into a movie. It was the episode with the woman who's a robot, I think, and the two kids. And uh, I, I can't remember. Ray, yeah, it's, I sing the body electric. That's a Ray Bradbury story. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Ray Bra- Oh, well, wonderful touch there. Um, but it, it was so uh, clean, black and white up there on the screen. And I thought, wow, um, seeing it in that, uh, uh, you know, instead of the TV all the time. Repeating, mm-hmm. uh, it was just a whole new way of looking at it, and I just thought, "Wow, let's this well, well, let's get to that in another day." And Mark, sure. thank you again so much for your time and a great, uh, great fortune with the Edgar Allan Poe book. Oh no, th- thank you, Steve. Thanks for 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 having me and you know, shining a light on on, on Mr. Poe in the book. You know, I'll, I'll be there because. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> again. Are, Take care, Mark. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye now.